welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have BS Holmes, and I want to do a shout out. You have a podcast, and we've talked about that a little bit. So if this podcast that you're listening to has had value, subscribe and leave a review. Podcasters love that. We love reviews and people subscribing. We want to make a difference. So V, tell me. I know you're an international best-selling author and your podcast is tied to book writers, but please tell me more about that because this is pretty big. Your series is pretty big. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm working on the final book um, in the fantasy series, um, which the, the first one was the international bestseller. And I'm in the like throes of revision chaos right now. <laughs> And uh, which is sort of a, a great place to be, but also yeah. because it's the end of a series, it's kind of bittersweet um, and also panic because it's like, I have all these strings and now I have to tie them into something cohesive. <laughs> we'll see if it makes sense. Do you, um, do you plan it out ahead of time? Because you're a planner. We talked about that in our pregame, but yeah. in sci-fi, I mean, <laughs> you do, you do know. How, kind of, kind of. Are you ever surprised when you go through the process though? Yes. So. Okay. When I first start a project, I, I don't plan it. Um, I start out with like just the initial scene of, um, you know, throwing a character into a situation and just kind of like fucking around with it and seeing yeah. what, you know, comes out of that. And then once I'm a couple scenes in, once I've answered a few questions, then, and also like come up with a bunch more. And that's when I start to sit down and, and come up with a, an outline. But I go through three main different types of outlines as I write. Um, so I will revise my outlines as I'm revising my draft, which sort of, I think, <laughs> is a little bit backwards. Um, but yeah, I, I'll go through with just like, these are the things I think would be cool to happen. And then once I'm done with that, when I'm going for my first like big overhaul, I'll go back through and realize what fits and what doesn't fit anymore. And then um, the final one is during revision, I go through with a story grid editor. Um, and that sort of is making sure all of my obligatory scenes are in place and that like everything is actually going to work as a story, not just like as a fun thing. So right. it's, it's a process. <laughs> I, I'm writing book two, but both of my books are my story or in right. chunks. And so I'm kind of like, I chunk it up. My outline is chronological order, but for sci-fi fantasy, that would be like, everything's out. The, I don't know how I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> everything's out the window. You can do anything. No, yeah. Well, you've written how many books now? I mean, there's a lot. There's two series. Two, two series. And the one that's coming out, which is Blood and Mercy, which comes out June 27th. Um, <laughs> that one, um, it will be my eighth full length book. Holy crap. So kudos to, that's a lot. That's a huge undertaking. It, it just feels like, <laughs> like I can't comprehend it yet. I feel like it, like, even when I see them on my shelves, I'm like, that's not a thing I did. That's, I don't know who did that, but. <laughs> it's huge. And the storyboard editor, like for me, because it's my life and it's chronological, my editor was making sure that, you know how you have a lot in your head. So when you say something or write something, it makes sense to you because the backstory is running in your mind. Mm -hmm. Where if I said something and you didn't, you don't have that perception. Right. You're like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about sort of thing. So my editor was like, 
you need to go much deeper here and there's got to be more information there and expand is your storyboard has to be like does everything connect and where are the loose strings and what do you want to leave hanging for the next one and it's got to be a completely different animal and well, so fun at least 10 point of view characters um i mean i have like three main ones um but yeah at least 10 who's at some point we see their point of view and so just i, I have a huge table um on my computer uh, i posted a picture of it on, on instagram someone's like what outline system is that i'm like i don't know it's excel <laughs> it's just this this huge outline with um you know each point of view character in each chapter and uh, yeah it's wow i think i think if i I don't know how I would write if I didn't do that because I'm still like every other chapter, even every other scene, I'm going back and being like, what am I doing again? Who's, yeah. Whose scene is this? So, <laughs> and that's even like, you know, during the, the final revisions, I'm still doing that. So it's, that's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> so I, and I need to look that up more online and uh, I haven't read anything that you've done, which stinks because that's here it is. There's time. <laughs> There's there's time. <laughs> Eight books. So it's coming out in, you said June? Yeah, June 27th, Blood and Mercy, which is the final reforged book. Will be of 2020. And that's so exciting. So you have uh, a website, well, you have a profile on BookBub and everything will be in the show notes with all of your, so I, I can get all of your stuff. And then um, I love your bio on there. You also have, we'll talk about that in a minute, you also on Facebook have VS Homes. It's under your name. Um, people can like and follow you, which of course I have. And how exciting. You have all the information there. And I asked you, um, I just, and I just saw, I, you have a post on Facebook and I want to bring it up in our conversation. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's the last one that you did. And anyway, I'm, so I'm, tr I'm trying not to look at my screens. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I asked you as far as following you on social mediums and you said mm -hmm. Twitter is where you're the most yourself and unfiltered. And so that's yes. a very cool thing to know. But I, because you have different facets of your life, a published author is just one of them. Let's go into this though. First, I'm going to like segue. <laughs> you said, what's your favorite monster? What about the most mm -hmm. unsettling you've ever read or watched? And just the picture that you have up, it's like, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> It's very creepy. And I'm going to tell you mine. Can I tell you mine? Yes. Yes. I know this is your interview, but no, no, no. When I, I don't remember when, when I was a kid growing up and I was born in 70. So this is a ways ago, but Twilight was a series, the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they came out with a movie. I have no idea what year that was, but I remember seeing it. And I don't like scary movies at all. I do not like to be scared <laughs> at all. But I went to the Twilight movie and it was so unsettling. It was the little alien on the wing of the plane. And it will, oh, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I've never gone. I should go back and watch it. Just, oh, it was just on the wing yeah. of the plane and he was messing with the engines and it was, and I don't know, I think it was probably my age and whatever experiences I had had and uh, how much I've been exposed to scary stuff before that. But that's the only one I even remember from the whole movie. What kind of feedback do you get from it? What's that? I said, well, it worked. I mean, the, the, the writers. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the scariest thing I remember ever seeing, but. You're not, the, you're not the first person who said that either. I think, um, I used to watch a lot of Twilight Zone, um, cause I worked in healthcare for a while. 
And so a lot of the older folks and the old folks were watching it because that's what they watched, you know, as they were raising their own children. And uh, that was one, like this one lady, she was like, that's the creepiest episode. I just, for some reason, it's the, it's the creepiest for her. And I, I think it's funny, like, because it's so simple, like all of the Twilight yeah. is just so minimalistic. And um, they really, like, because they didn't have a lot of special things to, to rely no. on. You know, oh my gosh, no. So, I mean, even looking back, they're still pretty good practical effects. Um, and my, my husband's a wicked practical effect nerd, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like there's almost something scarier when you're relying on the viewer or the reader's imagination because they can fill it in with whatever's most terrifying. And so when it is just this little simple goblin-y thing on the, the wing of a plane, like you can, I don't know, fill in the blanks yourself there. I think we forget that sometimes maybe. And because um, you're right, it's super minimalistic and it does leave a lot to your own imagination. So that that's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> so scary. What's in our own head is the, like the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> well, yeah, like, we don't even need to go yeah. there. So I'm going to read your books and then I'm going to be like, what is in her head is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to go now. I want to segue mm -hmm. into your, um, who you are. Tell me a little bit about your profile. God only knows. Um, <laughs> Um, Archaeologist so, by day, writer by night. By day, yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, my day job, or as I like to say, like my my warm weather job, is is archaeology. And then during the winter, um, I'm mostly writing because the ground is frozen, and um, usually they don't make us use pickaxes. So um, <laughs> that's sort of that's sort of what I do. I'm I work in um, a sector called uh, cultural resource management. So um, we're kind of like the migrant cowboy side of archaeology um whenever they're replacing roads putting in new power lines pipelines things like that um usually controversial things we go through first and um we try and make sure that if there is anything that's um cultural that's there like native artifacts native burial grounds or even euro-american things um that they're not destroyed so that's sort of what what i do on that side of things um and a lot of people are like, wow, these, these two things are really different, like writing and then like archaeology. And to me, they're the same because you're looking for the story. Um, oh, I love the story. Everything's about the yeah, story for me. It, you it are, is, that's what, what that's, questions. that is such a great point. And I did not see the connection. So I understand <laughs> how people do not see the connection between you writing sci-fi fantasy. I mean, anyone can be an author. All of us have stories right. inside. And I absolutely believe that it doesn't, it it takes your desire meets opportunity meets drive meets i mean you've done it eight times right so <laughs> yeah. any one of us who really wants to can become an author and i believe mm -hmm. everyone has a story sci-fi or or fiction not it doesn't matter mm -hmm. we all have it in there but i love that you just said that that's really sort of eye-opening that you're you're just putting together different stories that's a really beautiful way to see it well i think it's i mean <clears throat> It's really about like the, the human connection and the human condition too, because, you know, even though a lot of the people that I'm um, studying, you know, I'm, I'm not related to in, in any way, um, unless if it's, you know, like Euro trash is what, is what we call the more Euro-American historic stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, it's still, there's just this connection that I think that we all share 
um, there have been so many times where if you're standing on a hill and you're looking around, you're like, wow, this is a really nice view. I'd like to like build my house here or something. Chances are that there's a native site there because the same things that we look for, they were looking for, you know, we, we like a nice view because, you know, we think it's, you know, I don't know, ostentatious or something, but they liked a nice view because they can see people coming, whether they're enemies or, you know, friends or whether it's prey. And, um, you know, they, we like to be close to a water source. We think it's pretty, they need it to survive. And just the fact that that is um, maintained throughout, you know, all of these generations and different cultures, I just, I don't know, there's, there's something about that that just gets me, <laughs> gets, gets me going. It's the thread of the story of mm-hmm. yep. people. Yep. I mean, that, that's a really fantastic way to look at it. And it wouldn't matter in what, I mean, the way you're doing archeology span is great. <laughs> very you don't think about offshoots or i don't think about offshoots of a certain job until someone says something about it so thinking about an archaeologist working in archaeology to make sure that you can put the road there or the pipe Mm -hmm. there or what goes into you know like it's not even going to occur to me in my day-to-day life unless somebody's putting something into a place where i'm like (laughs) (laughs) right like it would never occur to you right but Mm -hmm how cool but it wouldn't matter what type of archaeology you're doing you're uncovering the story yeah so yeah, that's what I you mean, did there's as- no there's no guarantee about what, what we're going to find either because usually it's just miles of empty holes um, but you know we don't necessarily know what we're looking for um when we set out i mean we, we have a good idea you know there's historic records and stuff like that we can look up but it's really like it's just sort of a mystery and i think maybe that's why i still when i first start a story i still don't know where i'm going it's like mm. just putting a shovel in the ground and seeing if there's anything there. Sometimes there's not. <laughs> and you know, same with my, my plot sometimes. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that one ended before it started. Yeah. But <laughs> you're uh, okay. So you're talking about your, I'm going to talk about you in two different personalities. The very, the person who wants to have everything lined up, the Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet in you, and then the winging it in you, which are two very, conflicting ideals (laughs) but that makes sense and in archaeology you would know that probably a list of certain items could potentially be found Mm -hmm. and you don't know if any of them are or where any of them are but you know that it's you have the potential to have these are there surprises along the way where you were like wow we did not see that one coming i mean there's definitely been a few um surprise bodies um oh surprising burials, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's always a potential. Um, and usually like we, we do have like a set, you know, like, oh, well, more than likely this will be here. Um, if we're working in like a historic fort, um, we were working in a, uh, fort built in 1670 something, I think. And, um, you know, like we, we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to find there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we found a bunch of like really cool crockery that we didn't expect. And, you know, there's, there's definitely small surprises, you know, you, you have to kind of expect nothing and then just be delighted with whatever you find, which I'm very good at that. <laughs> um, I, I like having low, low expectations, but I think there's, because in, in archeology, span there is this sort of arbitrary order, um, the Excel spreadsheet, if you will. And so even though we, we don't really know what we're going to find or if we're even going to find anything, we still have this like, you know, every 10 meters we put up a pit and every, you know, every 10 centimeters we, we go down and it's a new level and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, which is where like 
you know, the classic um, National Geographic images come from where there's like these giant square holes where you find. Um, but I think like you have to have no expectations. And then once you figure out where you are, then you, you need the order to kind of find your way back maybe or mm -hmm. make sense of it. Um, but you can't have it to begin with. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere ever. <laughs> Right, which is why you start to create something in your writing, and then you kind of see where it goes, and then you spreadsheet it out from yeah. there. Yeah. I, it makes sense. I would have never put them together, so I'm <laughs> super glad that we talked about this. Now, you work all over northeastern U.S., yeah. and I'm f originally from Rhode Island and Vermont. Oh, yeah. So where, I don't know how... Where, where in Rhode Island? Warwick. I was born in Warwick. I lived in Coventry and Warwick. Yeah. My, so, my mom grew up on Block Island and the company okay. we're currently working for um, is out of Pawtucket. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're from the same place. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure where you were. It could have been, you could have been like off by several yeah. states, but how cool is that? All right. Mm -hmm. And I do want to talk about something else and I'm kind of curious how it ties in and that's that you guys live in a tiny house. Yes. So we're, we're almost done with the tiny house. Uh, okay. And uh, it's been a very long process. It started with um, husband number one. Um, and uh, it was really my, my project, my baby. And um, he was supportive, but ultimately disinterested in the whole thing. Um, and because of the archeology, span like we travel, it sort of seemed like a good way of taking my house with me. Um, partially because like, we live out of hotels pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we're usually home on the weekends or if we work for a company that does 10 days on four days off, we'll be, mm -hmm. you know, in a hotel for 10 days straight. And, um, while the company we're working for now is, is really good about the hotels. I've stayed in places where like later on, they have literally fallen down because of the rat infestation. So <laughs> I thought it'd be nice to, um, you know, actually have my own house with me and be able to like cook for myself and, you know, be home when I'm not home. And, um, I also just, I, I always have loved nomadic cultures. Um, I was like super obsessed with um, the Mongolian like yurts and everything like that when I was, you know, maybe like 12. And uh, it just sort of seemed like a, a new wave of that. Um, and my, my dad was a contractor and he, you know, built the house that I grew up in. And so he helped me with it, um, especially with like the planning. And it's been such an amazing learning process, especially cause like I'm a pack rat oh <laughs> wow um, so it's a good excuse to like purge and now it's like i can't stand clutter i can't like i can't i just i can't think um so yeah it's it's just been a really amazing process especially like as a creative person i think because there is sort of this um stereotype of like the chaotic writer where there's just like shit piled everywhere <laughs> <laughs> the desk and the papers and the... Which, I mean, my desk is messy. Um, we're working on it. It's like the last frontier. <laughs> Final frontier of, of cleanliness. Um, but yeah, it's it's just been a really, really fun process. And I think, I mean, I've, I was raised in a household that was um, really focused on, like, being green and things like that. So that's been helpful, too, because, like, the whole thing is wired for solar. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's fun and difficult, but I think, I don't know. I've just learned so much from it. That yeah, no really, kidding. Like, like even, even if we weren't going to like utilize it in, in the way that we, that I originally intended, I think like I've just learned so much that it would be, I don't know, 
which is great. <laughs> it is great. And you, you one of the, um, another profession, because I had never thought that you would be gone so much, but it makes sense right. now that you've explained it, like traveling nurses. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. people who work for the airlines, you know, mm-hmm. we're, um, you're only in town for small amounts of time because you're around. I mean, that's a little bit different because they're flying all the time, but when they're home, they want to be in their own space, but they don't need a lot of space because they're not home that often. So there are all these different categories. I think people get really um, interested in tiny house living because it just makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And the whole taking it with you. I love the traveling nursing. That's the first person. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And then I, I think minimalism happens for people for lots of different reasons, but Ultimately, you're solving a problem and or reducing stress mm-hmm. in some, whether it's that you want to take your house with you and you don't want to stay, that's stressful. Yeah. And so you get to, minim, yeah, you get to minimize your stress. Let's go back in time. I want to talk about struggles and things that have happened in your life. You said you were raised kind of green. Yeah. But um, just take me back wherever <laughs> you want to jump in. I was pretty much raised in the woods. I'm, I'm an only child. Um, okay. My parents had me when they were both um, older. My mom was 36 and my dad was 46. And, um, you know, just another child wasn't really in the cards. And um, I, you know, we we had this this house and there was all these woods and <laughs> we, we sort of joke about it now, but my mom, you know, she'd keep these binoculars by, by the sink um, or what would be the sink eventually because they were still building the house. And she just, you know, scanned the, the field and see if she could see my little diaper bobbing around. And All right. so she knew that, that, that I was fine. I was just like out in the woods somewhere. And I was like, in hindsight, couldn't the diaper be bobbing in a bear's mouth, mom? But yeah. Okay. Um, and so I had this very, like, on one hand, isolated um, childhood because it was just me. And, you know, I mean, they, they, my parents were, were very nurturing and, and took great care of me. But, you know, they're adults. And so I had me in the woods. And um, that didn't really translate well to making friends in school. (laughs) Um, So I ended up being bullied a lot. Um, I transferred schools multiple times. Like every every level of schooling I've had, I sort of divided my time between like the mainstream, larger, more public, traditional education and um, smaller, more private, weird, hippie education, too, um, which ultimately, I think the balance between those two is, is really awesome, um, and, um, you know, it was just something that I think, I think it stood me in, in good stead, but the isolation and the bullying and all of that, it sort of um, makes it hard to connect to people now as, as an adult, you know, like, I, I value friendship in, like, a huge amount, um, but I'm never one to, like, actually call someone my friend until they do it first. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 you, you first. Um, and I mean, I've been lucky, especially in my adult life, finding some, some really close friends. Um, but because I was so much in my head, you know, I think that's sort of where a lot of my, my writing started. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I'm just making up all of these stories. I, I, I mean, I, I jokingly found one of my, um, like first books that you have to like write in first grade or something and it's like you know my fish or something my, my I think it was called my, my pet fish and um I was taking a picture of it for for Instagram and I realized that the dedication was um to to my pet fish who died <laughs> it's like wow. it's 
it's me right there. Um, <laughs> just, like, just very matter of fact and, and probably a little bit, a little bit morbid. Um, but I think when I'm, when I was in, in middle school and sort of doing that like rebellious, you know, preteen and the teenage thing, um, that I think most of us do, I took that, like the isolation and the, like, I was bullied and well, no one likes me anyways, and kind of leaned into it. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's sort of where I found, even though I didn't really know who I was yet. And like, I mean, no one ever does ever, I think we're always changing. Um, I sort of learned to be proud of who I was, even though I hadn't really figured out who that was yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I don't know. That was, I think that's where a lot of the, like, because most of the characters I write are either only children or they're very isolated. They don't have necessarily a huge network. Um, Maybe the story is about them finding that network and that support. Um, But it's definitely something that I... I never realized, like, consciously, I, I wasn't doing that um, until, like, looking back or, like, reading other people's work. I'm like, he has, like, these huge casts of characters. And they're like, everyone has a sibling. Like, what's with that? No one has siblings. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, just trying to, like, parse that out, especially, like, once you, I think when you make the switch to being a more, like, a professional writer doing it as, you know, for a job, um, you know, you have to, like, look a little more critically at, like, things that you're doing and you know, try and do, either do them on purpose or you know, change it up or something. And that's right. one of those things. I was like, oh yeah, I don't, no one has a sibling. Or if they do, they, 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 they didn't meet them until much later. <laughs> so this, there's a, it sounds, well, I mean, like, it sounds like in lots of ways, it was a great upbringing. You had the wood, you had parents that were nurturing. That part was awesome. But because you were so isolated and had no siblings or people close to right. age that you grew up playing with, that, I can understand. I mean, my youngest, there's an eight year difference between she and the next sibling. And there's a huge, she's like an only child in the big family, but her imagination and the way she plays is not Mm -hmm. remotely the same as the kids that had each other to play with. And we talked to her about that. We talk about that a lot. Her imagination, her fantasy world is so much bigger and more incredible, Mm -hmm. but so is her loneliness level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, my mom and I were talking about, um, you know, like the, the first emotions you feel as, as a kid that you, that you can remember feeling. Cause I mean, obviously we all feel like, you know, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm wet, whatever. Um, but like the first, like a little bit more sophisticated emotion, she was like, well, what was the first one? Like you remember feeling like, I mean, I assume you were happy. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was happy, but the first pervasive emotion I can remember feeling was loneliness. Mm. and it wasn't I mean I'm very comfortable being lonely I'm very comfortable being by myself and being alone I mean that doesn't mean it's always enjoyable it's just familiar and um it was I I think she she felt like really bad I'm like no it's not like you can't it wasn't your fault (laughs) like it's just you know it's just but that that is one of the first pervasive I think emotions I really felt yeah loneliness yeah. That that would be hard to hear as a parent. That would be super hard. <laughs> that's not a very honest relationship. Now. Well, I, but that's good and you kind of had to because I would think that with your parents you would have been closer with them. I mean, they're the closest people to you. So not only do I think it's generally good to be close with your parents to some degree or I I want to be close to my kids, you know, especially once they're mm-hmm. adults and the relationship equalizes a little bit. Right. But also they were all you had. I know not all you had, but then 
how was it ever addressed? Did you ever discuss it at the time it was happening? The feeling of having a hard time fitting in when you went to school? I mean, definitely. They, they transferred me out of various schools. Um, I mean, I was, I think they, they tried really hard to like do that. Like, well, have you, have you talked to him about why he's doing that? Have you talked to the teachers, you know, but, um, it was just, it was a really complicated school system and they really didn't have the, the teachers and the teachers didn't have the energy, you know, like, I mean, now it's even worse. Like the yeah. classrooms were so much smaller then even compared to now. Um, but it was also, I think part of it was, I didn't, like, it bothered me that they were picking on me, but it didn't, I didn't want to fit in. I didn't care about the things that they cared about. Um, and I wasn't really willing to, like, fake it. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the only thing I really did was, like, Mom, can you buy me some of those bell bottoms with the embroidery? <laughs> that was, like, my, my one attempt at fitting in. Um, she did. They were nice. It didn't work. <laughs> well, nice you know, you you cannot fix your life with a pair of pants. No. Although <laughs> it's not <laughs> ever. That's never the answer, but, but it, it can help. And the, the thing I think is interesting that you've touched on a couple times is that you were pretty comfortable with who you were, just not comfortable with being bullied about it. Right. It was sort of like, I'll leave you alone. I like, I don't give a shit what you're doing, but like, can you just not give a shit about this? <laughs> Um, instead of being singled out right yeah right like just leave I'll do me you do you we're totally fine just don't single me out and if I think probably as a parent I would say a lot of the bullying came from the fact that you were different and you were comfortable with it right kids don't know how to handle that (laughs) no and I think I mean I, I did have a few like outside of class friends um who went to my same school but we couldn't be friends during school um you know because because then they'd lose their other friends and whatever whatever um but I did have my first like taste of um entrepreneurial um I don't know efforts when um so I I was a decent artist um still am I'm not as I don't do it as often as I as I used to uh, but I, I told these two kids, because they, they asked me to draw, um, we had to do the drawings for a calendar um, for each month, you know? Right, right. And so they asked me to draw a moose for them. I forget what month it was for, but <laughs> a moose. And I said, well, yeah, but you have to stand up for me for a day. Each of you has to stand up for me for a day, not the same day, but I will draw you a moose. <laughs> like Nicely done. <laughs> and I did it. They did it, but it was so weird. Like they, they just stood up for me for a day each and then we like went back to like dating each other. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. It worked. worked, I guess bartering system. (laughs) Bartering is great. I love it. And it's great that they followed through on it. And yeah, I was sort of surprised. How odd though. (laughs) I know, right? Like the fact that we can have an elevated conversation to you know, to, to get that far. And <laughs> we're still back to like, yeah, I don't, well, if it's junior high school, you're talking about, I mean, basically there are some years that are painful for everyone in different ways that doesn't excuse behavior because bullying is a horrible thing. I also think there was a lot of time where nobody cared about bullying or it wasn't an issue. I mean, like when I was a kid mm-hmm. in the seventies, nobody ever talked yeah. about bullying at that point. It wasn't on the radar and 
and in smaller towns and you know you just kind of and it, it happens no matter what what did you do i know you said you didn't care like you were comfortable with who you are so you didn't want to be bullied it doesn't feel good for anyone what did you do with that energy did it build your fantasy more how far back do you remember the stories in your head like as I far mean, back yeah i i don't remember a time when there weren't stories in my head um but it definitely, I mean, I had a lot of very dark themes um, mm. in, in my fantasy worlds. Um, I was also very comfortable with death at a very young age. Um, my dad had a liver transplant when I was three years old. And so I, at that age, I had to comprehend, like, say goodbye to daddy, and, but it has to be goodbye, goodbye, you know, just in case. And, um, you know, he, he lived for almost 30 years afterwards. But, you know, at that age, you, you, that's not a concept that a lot of kids can really grasp um, or really have to grasp, which is good. They don't have to. Um, and, but, like, I, I got that death, death was that, that. That was it. That's the end. You're done. And so a lot of my stories involve, like, sort of more dark themes. And so I think my parents didn't really notice whether that was like the effect of bullying or was that effect of just like what, what I had to, to deal with as a very small child or, you know, was it just, you know, we're active, you know, kids, kids have bizarre imaginations, even if they're mm -hmm. completely well adjusted. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think it was mostly like pouring that into those fantasy worlds, but also I, I think I internalized a lot of it because, you know, as, as I look at how functional or dysfunctional my adult relationships are, and how I interact with, with friendship and sort of um, like the fact that I don't call someone my friend until they call me a friend. Like, right. as a grown up, that seems a very, like, <laughs> that's just stupid. If you're my friend, you're my friend. Right. But, you know, that's, that's just very, very clearly from, from that, that time period. But I think, like, it wasn't, like, no one was really taking it seriously as far as the, the bullying, like, the more mild bullying went. Um, but there were, there were a few instances, like the, there was a kid who lit my hair on fire on the bus. Holy cow. Okay. It matched. It matched, right? It's, it's red. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I guess there was some, some logic. And don't ask me where a six-year-old got a lighter. I don't know. Uh, right. But, um, so there was that. And then there was an instance where um, the same kid, he, he punched me in the stomach during PE. And like the teasing and the pulling of the hair or you know the just like being kids stuff wasn't really a, a problem but it was like these two instances where my parents like really went to bat for me but I think it it was almost like it it backfired sometimes because you know as soon as your parent stands up for you then it's like oh you're like a goody two-shoes or oh you're a tattletale or oh you're whatever um so I ultimately switched schools and then after that I sort of became like I leaned hard into the, the like rebel and like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be the person that the teacher doesn't like either. And it's just, yeah. Cause we want to add energy went. Right. right. You want to add insult to injury. That sounds like a really good idea. Okay. So I just thought of something when you said, you know, the fire with your hair. So mm -hmm. my sister is a natural redhead and I was always, I was an older sister. Mm -hmm. And as the older sister, I was blonde hair, blue eyes, very, you know, my name's Jennifer Taylor. Give me a break. I couldn't be any more Wonder Bread White, right? And although I don't have any issue with how I look, she had this amazing red hair that was unique and different. 
And so I always wished that I had had red hair too. When you talk to my sister about it, it's a very different story. She, she hated it. She hated it. Carrot top. And like she was made fun of. Cause so where I think I have the most common first name in the history of girls, first names. And even my last name is common and I'm blonde haired, blue eyed, like everything about me is as boring as it could possibly. There's nothing like I was born in 70, smoke some pot and come up with a fun name. Like you can, come on. Right. There's many. There's There's a lot. No, you. And so I always, I mean, it, it, it is what it is in the end, but I always thought like nothing, everything about me is so normal and boring and wonder bread white. I mm-hmm. wanted something unique because I came from having nothing unique right. where she had red hair and was ridiculed for it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't even occur to me because when I saw you, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the red hair I always wanted. Like my sisters, right? Where I think we don't gain that appreciation. I mean, I can say I want it all I want to, to all day, right? But I wasn't the kid that was getting made fun of for it. Yeah. I, mean, I was I'm, the normal I'm kid. I'm happy with it now. But yeah, as, as a kid, I mean, I never went through a phase where like I dyed a bunch of colors. I mean, I dyed it black once because it's goth phase, but. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, you have to go through that, right? Yeah. Okay. It's just a prerequisite to, to adulthood, but um, yeah, I, I never, like, I didn't like it as a kid, but it was more, I, I, I didn't have hair until I was about three. Okay. So strange, strangers, when like it started to grow and strangers would come up and just like touch me, like touch my head. Right. And, um, my mom always called it beautiful, but I would always wear kerchiefs and things to cover my hair. And I think like that kind of got into my head that it's like, well, this is the reason why people are, are assholes, <laughs> but you know, you should still be proud of it. Kind of. Um, right. I, I wouldn't change it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely like, well, don't, don't touch it. Leave me alone. Well, I, and like when I see it, I have a fond memory, Right. but your memory of growing up and being bullied, it never occurred to me. Like your hair color could be part of what you were getting bullied for and that that was uncomfortable or difficult. Yeah, you may love it now, but that doesn't mean you had to, you didn't have to go through the growing pains of having it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, okay. I, and I think uh, like from my perspective, it's great. And from your perspective, it's something, to, it's one more thing that people can target. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Which me. Like so dumb, but whatever. Kids yeah, but. People, humans. <laughs> and when kids are growing up and they're going through a bullying phase, I think a couple things are happening that kid's damaged and there's no excuse for it. So they're reacting a lot of times, I think in controlling an environment where they don't feel that way, or they've been, you know, because studies have come out later, like those kids that were bullies were the ones getting their ass beat at home. And knowing like, especially about that one particular bully, knowing what I know now about his home life. Yeah. Like it, I can't believe he's still alive. Like, and, and, and he is, I found him on Facebook recently. <laughs> and it doesn't excuse his behavior. Cause right. if you're not liking how you're being treated, why would you turn around and treat another human being poorly? You're just perpetuating that. But yeah, I know that that happens. And also it doesn't matter. You're going to be too tall, too short, too thin, too fat. Your boobs are too big or too small. Like, yes. you know, I've watched my kids grow up and be like, no, you don't understand. It's not you. if you're taller you would be too tall instead of too short it it will not make a difference because there's a there are segments in life where nothing about you is going to be right to someone 
And so screw it. Like you just have to figure, you know, I have a daughter who's almost five, nine and one who's barely five feet tall. It, it's not going to matter. Right. People are going <laughs> to give you shit no matter what, but mm -hmm. certain things like having beautiful red hair is just an easier target for those people, which well, sucks. Like fluorescent literally on top of your head. Like it, it yeah. is a glowing sign on top of my face. <laughs> so. kick, kick me. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just screaming. I'm going to ask, <laughs> well, oh my God, that's like another level. That's, yeah. that's another level. It's like bullying and it's like, yeah, there was that. And then I'm like, well, this kid that met my hair on fire. Like, what happened when that happened? I mean, how, like, I don't remember. Honestly, I, I remember the sound of the lighter and I remember the smell. Yeah. I don't have no memory. I mean, I, I have huge sections of my childhood that I just don't remember any of. Um, but, and, that, and that's one of them. Um, but now like even you know, if someone goes to light a cigarette or a joint mm -hmm. or whatever near, near me, like in this vicinity, and I hear that sound, I do this for like, it's like, I know, I know my husband is not going to light me on fire. <laughs> it's just that initial like, yeah, it's a trigger. Yeah. Have you on a side note, total side note, have you ever thought of going back in some sort of therapy or have there ever been therapy where you wanted to fill in the gaps? Um, I've gone through various different therapists. Um, I'm not in a financial place right now where I can afford it. Um, but I, for the most part, I, I remember the events themselves. Okay. It's the super, super, whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> surrounding stuff. The superfluous? <laughs> I write the words. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's more of like the surrounding events that yeah. probably didn't really mean anything, but th those were lost. Um, okay. And I, I, I do wonder if, if there were things I couldn't remember. And I mean, maybe there are, and I no, I wouldn't know. Um, right. But if I were having reactions to something that I felt like there was a missing piece to, I'm definitely the type of person who I'd want to go back and like investigate. That. And, um, and I have done a various types of, of therapy. Um, most of, so it's <laughs> when you said there's like two different people. Yes. Kind of, um, th this kind of made me think of it. Um, I did do uh, neurofeedback. Mm. which um, I don't know if you're familiar with, but if you know, there are listeners who, who aren't, um, you put electrodes on your, on your head and it scans your brain waves. And it, this is a very like lay person's version of it. Um, it sees what waves are um, more aroused or more depressed. Um, and then where like the normal brain should be and using um, like a positive reinforcement, you will train your brain and it's not even a conscious thing like it, you, your brain does it um the therapist will just say beeps are good and the closer your brain wave gets to normal whether it's bringing it down or raising it um it's like a game of hot or cold the closer it gets uh -huh. it beeps the more beeps you hear the you get this positive reinforcement and the only reason they tell you is so your brain knows you don't actually like consciously have to know so i had a friend who does neurofeedback and he did neurofeedback on me because um, i said i feel like there are two versions of me one who is like hyper reactive, easily triggered, like very much the PTSD person. Mm -hmm. And um, then the other person who's like the devil may care, like badass mm -hmm. go getter. Um, you know, the, the planner versus the, the pantser. Yeah. And um, 
at the, at the time, you know, like I didn't feel like they were integrated at all. It was either one or the other, and it was very disruptive. And so he ran me on this this program um, protocol. That's the term. And um, I had a very severe reaction. <laughs> and he said, you know, maybe this was a path that we should have walked down, and we were running, and we didn't realize. Um, but for about 24 hours after that, um, and it's only like 15 minutes. It's, it's a 15 to 20 minute thing that, that you do. You sit in front of the computer. It's a, you know very basic. And for the, the next 24 hours, I oscillated between hysterically laughing and hysterically crying, like every few minutes. And after that, I mean, there's still those two parts of me, but I feel like they talk to each other now. Oh, um, <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I haven't, I, I think it'd be neat to go back and try and do it again because it is something that, you know, you're supposed yeah. to come up with. And eventually your brain knows, like, this is normal. Um, okay. So it can be permanent, but, um, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting if I did go back and see what that's, else happens. That, I <laughs> think a lot of, like, oh. <laughs> take a break and breathe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think all, of, I think most people are, you know, it's like the different facets. I'm one person with my kids and one person when I'm interviewing and one person with my best friend that doesn't, they're just different facets or I'm letting certain character traits surface more in some, like I don't swear generally like with my nine-year-old, but with my adult kids, absolutely. You know, and so it's like, it's not that you're not being yourself all the time. It's that you're putting forward the parts of your personality that make the most sense in that situation. Right. And you just hope that they will talk to each other. And well, <laughs> the problem with, with mine is they weren't talking to each other as one or the other. <laughs> That's so interesting though, because you've, uh, when I, I mean, I did say that and I believed it when I said it, but yeah. very distinctly. And I think that that's more rare and interesting that it's there's a disconnect there where they're not talking to each other because yeah. yes usually it's like a round table of mm -hmm. yeah which which, which characteristics yeah. right right exactly and they're all part of you but mm -hmm. if you have that's so interesting fascinating yeah. i want to ask think, you go ahead <laughs> well i was gonna say i think if you like if someone were to have a more severe reaction to their trauma or perhaps had more severe trauma that it's not a contest um i think mm -hmm. that's where you know, you go from just dissociating and having sort of different sides of yourself that don't talk to each other to having a full-blown dissociative identity disorder, which, you know, I, I don't have, and I don't know what that's like, but I've listened to a lot of people who do because I find it fascinating. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think that maybe that's sort of a, uh, the end game <laughs> of, right. of, of that path there. Um, and it's just like, because we all do that, like it's either code switching or, or different personalities or, or whatever. Right. But very rarely do are they so um, distinct from, from one another. Right. My husband's the same way. <laughs> He's two personalities, completely two personalities. Although, like you said, I and I never um, thought about it before. And that's why I think, well, all of us probably are to some degree. But what you just said, that's more clarity. Mine talk to each other right. constantly. <laughs> So it's not really like two, it's just like different facets of the same one. But, yeah. and I think it's like, we all have two wolves within us and it depends on which one you feed. It's kind of like that. Like I have the potential to be really dark, horrible, you know, mm -hmm. I, I could do terrible things in certain situations and probably be okay with it, but that's not the wolf that I feed. Right. 
but it's the same thing with your personality. And my husband is, I, I tell him, I'm like, yeah, I use his middle name. Like, oh, it's Chris, the boy next door today. Okay, we're going to pretend that's what's happening today. <laughs> uh, let me know when Dane's all up in the house because I like his person. And, you know, I give him a hard time, but I think it is exactly what you said, which is so fantastic, is that his sides just don't talk to each other quite as much as mine do. There's some blurred lines, but he can be two very distinct. And we were talking earlier today, he's like, well, I'm not an addict. I'm like, no, but you have, an, you have addictive personality traits, but it depends on this. It, it's when he's not talking, his sides aren't talking. So that, so that was cool. Part of our conversations that I had clarity in a way that made no, no connection to our interview, but was so cool. That's true. I think, I think it's just the line is a little more blurred with some people. Yeah, and I think and less with you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and even now, like even they talk to each other, but I wouldn't say they get along. You know, not always. That. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh no, that's true. No, yes. So I see that in my life on an almost daily basis with my husband. He likes to play video games, and I'm like, I love that you do, and you make money, and it doesn't bother me at all. But could you set a schedule? Because it's the rest of the family's expectations, right. and so then the other personality takes over and there's like, he's like, absolutely. That makes total sense. And it's structure and I'll stop at six. And then the other, the other personality doesn't like that. Right. But it's not like a multiple, per when I I'm like right. throwing him under the bus, poor guy. Like it's actually, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's like battling an inner demon sometimes, you know, you know, you should stop that at six and do something different, but you don't want to stop it at six. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I, so what if she's pissed? She'll get over it. She eventually goes to bed. You know, now I have the same conversations, but they talk better. They don't disagree. Yeah. And so that's, it's a very interesting way to see it. It's been a very illuminating conversation. I want to ask you a question on the book bub in your bio. I'm going to quote it and I want you to tell me what it means. It says, as a disabled and queer human, she works as an advocate and educator for representation in SFF world. But what does that mean? Why are you a disabled and queer human? Um, I don't know why I'm a queer human. <laughs> I was born that way. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't. Like, we're going to get a blood test and get this shit figured out. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it's it like cheap. that. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Um, so yeah, I, uh, well, we'll start with the first one. I think I put disabled first. Yes, um, you So did. I have a connective tissue disorder, which oh, okay. I found out about five years ago-ish. Okay. Um, or at least I, I noticed that my symptoms were not just like getting older. Okay. Um, and uh, that basically means it's, it's an autoimmune disorder. Um, I have extra mobility in my joints but also like a broken rubber band they don't go back the way they should got it um, and i mean it affects all sorts of other things because connective tissue is just all over your body so um i have heart issues and lung issues because of that um chronic pain um so i have a very physical job as an archaeologist and obviously that, yeah. that impacts it a lot um and while i'm very lucky that i adore my job i am very unlucky in the fact that i won't be able to do it for very much longer um 
And that's not a reality that a lot of people see in sci-fi fantasy outside of um, the more like magical tropes, um, especially yeah. in, in fantasy. Like, um, well, I can't use a modern example right now because it would be spoilers for people who haven't watched the show. Don't but, spoiler. <laughs> um, no, no, no spoilers. But, um, you know, a lot of times you see people trading pieces of themselves or their abilities for power. Mm -hmm. um, or you see it as a sign of good or evil. Um, so, like, in the case of Wonder Woman, this is, you know, the first Wonder Woman movie that came out a couple years ago. Okay. Um, one of the villains was disfigured, and that right. was, like, a way to show that she was evil, And which I find just lazy writing, personally. But, um, okay. you know, like, sure, have a disfigured villain if you want, but, like, don't make that the reason. Um, right, right. Yeah, so it's, it's usually used as um, a shorthand for showing who's good or evil or who has magical powers. And so that's something that I want to um, subvert in, in my work. Um, partially because, like, I don't like being seen as the villain or as the, you know, the, I have magical powers, because I don't. I mean, <laughs> it'd be cool if I did Damn! Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's, like, the first half of that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, then the, the queer thing, um, I'm an equal opportunity lover. I don't care what shape my person comes in. Mm -hmm. um, and I have sort of a complicated and changing relationship with gender. Um, so yeah, I, I call myself gender queer because I don't always feel female. I don't always feel male. I'm, I'm mostly like femme presenting just because that's life and it's easier that way sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's... And that's another thing we don't see a whole lot of, though it's getting better, um, especially in, I mean, like, sci-fi in particular um, has always been sort of at the forefront because mm -hmm. it is imagining new worlds. Um, so people who don't maybe see themselves accepted in this current world will write about themselves being accepted in that world, hopefully soon in the future. So that's definitely, you know, I, I think as far as all the genres go, it's pretty um, progressive um, in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it's also not. Um, or, you know, we'll see those identities um, just, again, really tropey or more misused. So, yeah, that's something I'm working to change. That's not at all what I thought we were going to talk about, and that's very <laughs> exciting. What did you think we were going to talk about now? <laughs> I had no agenda on that. Okay. I, I mean, you know, there's different uses of words, and queer is okay. one of them. Yeah. And so... It's oh, a queer, great way, yeah. <laughs> right? Unusual, or, mm -hmm. and so in the sci-fi world, it made sense that it could just be that. But that's why I asked, just to clarify. Well, two things can be two. Like I'm, I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> I'm also very weird. Um, and I, I know, like a lot of people, don't um, prefer the term queer for themselves. Um, and you know, I, I just I use it because I feel like there are multiple labels that I could mm -hmm. fall under and those things vary and so it's easier to just use one word um, for, for me myself and I but not necessarily for other people um, <laughs> but if it, it fits perfectly I just didn't know if that was the direction yeah. that you meant it I mean I wasn't sure what you meant so that's why I asked because when I saw that I was like disabled that's interesting and you're right. So wouldn't it be cool if there was a green, bald, disfigured superhero that was uh, fighting for good? Because it seems like there are, um, I don't think about it 
obviously that often, but it seems like when you're watching movies, it's the good looking Captain America's the good guy and Wonder Woman and we want to be them. But the, the opposite is true the villain like if somehow you're disfigured then obviously you're pissed and you want to hurt all of the good people and that is very true although and i think it's sometimes we like to put things in neat little packages so that it's mm -hmm. easier to understand but that's a shame yeah well so how great. i think you know it's it's also especially with disability i feel you know, and, and this is something that I sort of have come to terms with sort of recently um, because I, like, I was very active as a kid. I mean, running through the woods, like, I, it's a thing. I'm a very active person. Um, mm -hmm. And disability is one of the few marginalizations that you can catch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it, it, it can happen to anyone. And so I think there's this weird moralistic thing that happens um where we impose like oh well that happened because you know they're bad or mm. you know that that happened because they didn't do these things right or because they were you know vain or whatever or because it was a sacrifice it was mm -hmm. a bad thing that they had to trade in order to get this good thing like you know, all seeing power or whatever it is right and that's i think that's a way for people you know because it, it's scary when you're body it doesn't feel like your own anymore and it's not working the way you want it to work so it's much easier when you're like oh well if i'm just good enough it's not going to happen to me if i'm just you know if, if, if i just don't want that all-seeing power i, I i'm not going to end up that way um and i you know I, I understand where that's coming from because it's a it's a shitty process to go through in a lot of ways but um the existence itself isn't shitty necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. parts of it are, but the existence itself isn't. And I think, um, you know, we can go down a whole other road there right. <laughs> with, with, with that one. But I think um, that's sort of where, where that comes from, but it's also like what we need to, to get away from, especially um, with a lot of narratives that we see in the news about, um, you know, terminating your own life and other people terminating it for you as a sign of mercy. You know, that's, that's really dangerous territory to go down. Um, yeah. So I'd like to, to use fiction to help combat that. <laughs> Yay. Tell me about, I want to, I love that you, you've used writing a lot in your process. Cause I asked about therapy and although that's been part of it and there's no wrong answer with any right. modality, but you really used embracing who you are and writing as tools to work through the stuff that was tough for you. Yeah. Which are, I mean, embracing who you are and being super okay with it is a very tough thing for people at any age. So you were able to do that and then manifest. Do you manifest yourself in different ways in your characters? I think we all do. Yeah. Um, I, it took me a long time to really feel like I could consciously put pieces of myself into characters. Um, partially, I think, because I was worried, like, well, then, then other people, like, my readers are going to hate them because all of these kids in school hated me. Oh, uh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there was a little bit of, like, wish fulfillment and stuff like that. Um, the, the worst part was when my dad read one of my characters, who is the closest to me. Um, you know, she's me without controlling my temper or my ah. <laughs> um and uh, sort of like 
she's she's the the, the badass extreme chaotic one um right the extreme she's she's just that no none of the other side and he was reading and he's like oh she's she's really angry i don't really like how angry she is I'm like to me <laughs> <laughs> um which i mean He's where I got my temper from, so (laughs) maybe there was a a mirror there he wasn't liking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I I do put a fair amount of myself in in my characters, but it's it's a way of exploring those pieces more fully, I guess. Um, And, I mean, especially, so, (laughs) tangent again, Um, I think especially with writing characters of different identities um mm-hmm. going back to the the gender thing like i found sometimes i was more comfortable writing male characters and it's like is that because you know being a woman sometimes sucks or is it because maybe i don't always feel like a woman and so that was sort of a good way to explore that um and then oh. I was coming to terms with you know some some stuff that that i went through um whether it was bullying or being isolated or whatever um sorry the dogs that's all right we have dogs over here too it's no big deal um yeah so i think it it wasn't a conscious way to do it at first um and i don't even know if it if i set out to like i'm gonna therapize this part of myself today um right like going through it um i have a lot of characters who lose limbs um and while i still have all my limbs they don't work the way i want them to Um, okay and a lot of characters who have complicated relationships with their moms, because, like, who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't think it's any more than anyone else. Um, but I did have a, a huge struggle um, with my main character in the Reforged series. Uh, Alia, she, like, I couldn't write her. I couldn't get in her head, and I, like, really didn't like her. And then I realized probably like three years after starting the book that I didn't like her because in order to get into her head deep enough to make her real, I would have to deal with some things that we shared that I didn't really want to deal with. And a lot of the vulnerability about that. Um, Because while I, you know, I I said like, oh, I I don't care what other people think of me. I just don't want to be bullied. A lot of it at the beginning was like false bravado. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, fake it till till you make it. Mm -hmm. And so I was still in that false bravado part but I didn't necessarily like me. I just didn't like that they didn't like me. Right. And um, writing Alia and writing some of the darker parts of her mind and where she goes in her own head and also like in, in the world and her path of like, am I the monster now? Um, mm-hmm. Was very much like going through that with myself. But it just took me a minute to figure out like, why, why don't I like her? It's like, oh. see thank you so much for sharing that though because that's huge and that's a great way people can work through their own stuff so this was so fun it was was like rambling circles of conversation no but it all kind of ties back in and there's great tools and things that people can learn in all of that that they wouldn't have learned if you hadn't been brave enough to talk about them thank you so much for being on i enjoyed it so much yeah this was awesome thank you